Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. are pretty common nowadays and most people probably credit the Beatles for the creation of the phenomenon. But some people will remember the Monkees, a group often referred to as the Prefab Four, a U.S. pop band that was created in 1968 for a television show of the same name that originally aired for two seasons and then went on to become a legitimate pop band in its own right. Welcome to Late Edition Crime Bee Chronicles, a Lee Enterprises podcast. I'm Amber Moten, the show's producer and editor, back with another story that you may not think of as a traditional true crime case. Okay, the band. It consisted of Mickey Dolenz, Davy Jones, Michael Nesmith, and Peter Tor. The show played well to both fans and critics and performed well in its original run and through syndication and Saturday morning repeats. The show is a scripted comedy all about the four bandmates struggling to make it in the music business. And of course, the hijinks that ensued. While a manufactured band, the music really did catch on, and they eventually toured to sold-out crowds. Okay, but how did the creators of Daydream Believer and I'm a Believer, a song brought back into the lexicon by the band Smash Mouth for the Shrek soundtrack, land themselves the subject of a true crime podcast? Well, would you be surprised to learn that the Monkees were the subject of an FBI investigation? The group's final surviving member, Mickey Dolan, sued the FBI in 2022 to obtain any files on him, the band, and his bandmates after submitting a Freedom of Information Act request in June of that year and failing to receive anything more than an automated response within the 20 days that federal agencies are obligated to respond. Randy Crable, you may remember from the series of episodes we did with the Tulsa World about the Osages during the Reign of Terror, joins me in this episode to explain how the pop band came to the attention of the FBI and, of course, the tie to Tulsa. It is great to have you back on the podcast, so thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. You wrote an article about the Monkees, the band, and a tie to the FBI, but let's kind of start a little bit with who the Monkees were. Now, I remember them when I was little, I think around when I was... Four MTV was airing reruns of their TV show, which was a sitcom, if I remember correctly, and I absolutely adored it. Can you just kind of talk about the history of the monkeys? Sure. So I was kind of the monkeys' target audience, I think, when they came out. But in the 1960s, when they, um, you know, we had the British invasion and and uh, sort of pop music and rock music was really exploding onto the scenes and. Uh, TV producers got the idea of creating a band and making a television series about the band. And initially, uh, the band was uh, not going to be uh, performing their own music. I think the idea was they actually would do the singing but not play the instruments. And the show turned out to be uh, like a, a lot of music in that era, uh, the the, uh, the band became rapidly popular and almost as rapidly faded from the scene. But at any rate, they they uh, they became um, proficient enough, I guess you would say. Basically, they just insisted that they were going to be the band, that they didn't need all these other people. So they went out on tour 
they had at least a couple of them and i well actually they had more than that i think but they went out on tour and they were you know quite successful like i found out they they sold something like 75 million records in about a two or three year span so they they were pr pretty much a big deal they uh because it was put together by these tv producers they hired some uh, some of the big big name uh, uh, songwriters in uh, the brill building in new york which was uh you know the place where a lot of the 50s and 60s and on into the 70s uh, big hits were written by in in the brill building in new york and so uh, so they had some, and they had some very big hits and uh, uh so they and they and then you mentioned uh mtv they had kind of a second life when mtv came out because they started playing those shows and reruns and they became popular again and uh at least some of them started touring again in the uh, I guess it was in the 80s, maybe. And even there's one of them still alive, Mickey Dolan's, and he still does some shows at 78. Wait, didn't the show actually win an Emmy, I think? Yeah, I think one year the show won an Emmy for Best uh, Comedy Series. It beat out like Andy Griffith and some shows like that. So, I mean, it was uh, legitimately entertaining, it sounds like, and critically acclaimed. So, Well, it, it was different because they, as I recall, they, they would come out and there were sort of plots, but it was almost kind of an absurdist comedy in that they were kind of goofy and they were just a lot of little series of, of scenes. And some people have uh, drawn a line from that show to uh, music videos in the you know in the MTV era because the the you know it was set up to kind of sell this the, sell the music and uh, and and it all revolved around their music I mean the 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 the, the plots such as they were were pretty simple and silly intentionally silly I should say right right okay so let's set up the crime in air quotes here so the monkeys were in tulsa you said they were touring they were in tulsa in 1967 to play a concert can you kind of set the scene with that yeah they came it was actually on january the 2nd 1967 they played at what was then called the uh convention center arena it was a downtown venue that had not been open very long at that time uh, it would hold about 8500 people for for a concert like this and they sold out it was mainly like young teens i think you know probably you know 11 or 12 up to 16 17 something like that and their parents some mom would get roped into bringing you know five or six kids uh from the neighborhood or whatever and it you know it went on there was no big controversy i don't think at the time except this uh, entertainment writer editor from the tulsa tribune which was a, a, an afternoon paper here at the time um, he just he didn't like it, and and one of the criticisms in general of the, of the monkeys was that it was a it, it was a they call they're, uh, some people call them the prefab four because they they were you know they were created specifically for television. It wasn't a group of guys who just kind of came together and started mu uh, making music together. They were they were created, and some people didn't like that, and. Uh, and their and their music was not intended to be for the most part real 
you know, deep and social meaning or anything like that. And uh, so anyway, he didn't like it. He uh, and he wrote a letter to the FBI. Well, it's not clear to me in the in the in the report. It's not clear whether he wrote directly to the FBI. Apparently, he maybe sent this to the uh, television uh, production, uh, the television studio, complaining that they were uh, projecting subliminal messages onto a screen behind them during one of the songs, which is one of the things, if you weren't around in the 60s, that, there was all kinds of stuff like that in the 60s and the early 70s. You know, if you play Beatles records backwards, they had some kind of message, you know, or, um, you know, there was the big set, a lot of, a lot of uh, radio stations and so forth wouldn't play uh, Louie Louie by the Kingsmen because no one could understand the lyrics, but they were pretty sure they were bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they didn't understand. It was just a very poor recording. But um, uh, so he anyway, he complained to the FBI. I don't know that the FBI really took it that seriously because as I wrote in the story, they had the guy, the guy who complained, his name was Bill Donaldson. So they had his name wrong in their report. They had his newspaper wrong in their report and they had the date of the concert wrong in their report. But what happened was they, someone a, a few months later, uh, compiled all of that into, um, uh, a, a bigger report is like 80 pages long on the influence of communism and subversive groups on the, on Hollywood. And so that, that, that was included in there. And, um, you know, I don't think anything came of it, but if I could, I mean, this is all kind of fun, but on the other hand, it does make people kind of stop and think it should make people kind of stop and think about, well, what does it take to get, you know, to have a, FBI file, apparently not very much. Right. What was the political climate like back then? Well, yeah, it was, it was very, it was very, it was a lot of turmoil. And so what, and in this particular case, what they had done, they had a song uh, that did try and I, it was called, I want to be free. And it did try and have a little bit of a social message and they were showing the, there was nothing subliminal about this. They were showing images of, of, uh, of riots and the war in Vietnam and uh, peace marches. And I think they had something on the uh, uh, maybe. Well, oh, they, I think there were scenes from um, the Selma, Alabama uh, march, which would, that had actually taken place, you know, uh, several years earlier. But at any rate, um, was still very much in the news. And so. So it wasn't really subliminal. It was stuff they'd see on the on the news every day. But but the bigger picture was that yes, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of opposition to the war in Vietnam. There was you know it was the '60s. It was the protest protest uh, era. There were quite a few uh, violent demonstrations, and there was a lot of concern about the communists taking over. So a lot of a lot of this file was, oh, uh, there was a radio station in uh, Los Angeles that would from time to time have members of the American Communist Party on the top. And they would mention that so-and-so, uh, so-and-so who's now a very well-known uh, personality or, or producer 
had dinner with so-and-so, and back in 1938, they attended a dinner at a known communist, uh, you know, things like that. Um, for some reason, this it mentioned Robert Vaughn quite a bit. Uh, and people may not remember Robert Vaughn, but he was a popular actor in the 60s. He was in. He was one of the Magnificent Seven in the movie The Magnificent Seven, and then later he started in a TV show called uh, The Man from Uncle, which kind of had a cult following. And you know, he was always popping up at some kind of demonstration or something like that. So it was a very tumult tumultuous time. Also, the FBI was run by J. Edgar Hoover, who liked to get as much uh, dirt as he could on as many pop people as he could. So that may have had something to do with it. I don't know. We have to take a quick break, so don't go too far. Uh, you said that Donaldson had accused the band of deliberate manipulation or a, a preconditioned immature audience for propaganda dissemination. And you mentioned that it wasn't in any way subliminal, like the message yeah. they were getting across in their one potentially political song was was pretty obvious. But do you think he was just reading into things because he didn't like the music or... Well, so Bill Donaldson and I, I didn't know him. Uh, he, well, he was still at the, so the Tribune closed in 1992 and I started here before that. And I, I was at the world when he was at the Tribune, but I don't think our paths ever crossed. He was an older, he was part of that older generation. He was a World War II veteran. You know, patriotism was very, Big. He also he had an English literature degree from Swarthmore. Uh, he just, you know, he yeah. I think I think he, first of all, I don't think he cared that he didn't like the music that much. But second of all, he didn't like the idea of uh, this sort of manufactured. He called it ma manufactured hysteria or manufactured uh, uh, emotion. He he didn't like that. So I felt I think he he felt like. You know, these young people were being manipulated and, you know, probably to a certain extent they were. I'm not, but nobody after the concert was over went out and started trying to burn the city down or anything like that. It was, it, it was mostly just fun. And so I, I think to a large extent it was, I, I can remember it some of my own dad when I was a kid and that show was on. We, we were not supposed to watch it uh, just because. It didn't. It wasn't that he was. It made him mad or anything. He just. It's a stupid show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had a category of television program. That's just a stupid show, and so we were. We didn't watch it. <laughs> and I think I. You know. So there. There's that. There's that category. Category. I wonder what Donaldson would think about, you know, like the Swifties and, you know, of course, the boy band fans of, you know, like. Right. No, I think he'd be he'd be appalled. He, he had a background in the theater. He had performed in, in the theater here and run a theater in, in Tulsa for a while. And, you know, I mean, I just think that would be something. Although, you know, I mean, he would have gone through the period uh, when uh uh, he would have gone through the Elvis Presley period. He would have gone through the Frank Sinatra period when, uh, you know, for even someone my age, Frank Sinatra was always kind of the older guy. But there was a period in the 50s and 60s when, you know, girls would swoon over Frank Sinatra. So anyway, you know, he he knew a little bit about that and acknowledged it, but he just thought this was too too fake, too phony, that these guys had no, 
they had done nothing to deserve the adoration and attention they were getting and that whoever had you know whoever had created this group was using this group to to warp the minds of america's youth fair enough may not be entirely wrong but i think it was probably more to sell albums and tv shows and tickets as well, opposed right. to it was it was to make money that's all yes. i cared about <laughs> you know um and I, I have to say that you know there maybe was a little bit of anti anti-semitism involved the monkeys weren't jewish mm -hmm. but, but the producer so that one of the producers was the son of the head of one of the studios in in uh, uh los angeles and they and they seem to have been jewish and so you know i don't know but there could have been some anti-semitism involved in that too gotcha. i mean you saw that but these guys were all all white but you know with some of the black performers at the time it was it was really evident you know and so uh yeah, I mean, this is getting a little far field, but some people think that uh, President Nixon pushed for the criminalization for uh, marijuana because he believed he associated it with black uh, performers in music genres that he didn't understand or, or didn't uh, approve of. And so he, you know, he he wanted to, to put those guys in jail. Okay, so you said you didn't think that the FBI really gave it much attention. You mentioned like the misspellings and inaccuracies in the report. Did it give you any indication that they actually followed up and looked into it? Well, so I didn't see this report, but the lawyer, uh, uh, Mr. Zaid, who's the lawyer for Mickey Dolan's, said that there was another report where a, an FBI agent went to one of the concerts. And it's not clear whether he went because of this report or he went because he had a 12 year old daughter. But anyway, he, he went and and said more or less the same thing that Bill Donaldson did. I fully admit I really wanted to do this because um, anytime I can talk about daydream, daydream believer, it makes me happy. Uh, <laughs> my mom said I would run around screaming the lyrics to that song when I was little. So um, that was always fun. But I mean, is the, the general consensus does not seem to be that the monkeys were some, some big subversive group. Is that right? <laughs> Correct. But I, I, but I will say, and I, you know, I, that, Again, it shows you how, you know, it's easy to get on some uh, on someone's um, on the FBI or whoever's list. You know, you think about we have these terrorism watch lists now where if your name is close enough to somebody else, you can be in trouble. I mean, um, so the, the attorney is also uh, representing the. Uh, um actor from uh two and a half men john um i can't i think of john's left john yeah yeah so uh he'd he'd met him and john crier and and john crier said well i don't think i've got anything but my uncle was an anti-war activist and we'd kind of like to know if he has anything so the lawyer put in a request for, you know, this man's file. Well, it turned out it was like 3,000 pages long. Holy cow. And, and and I don't know that he was a particularly prominent. I mean, it's not like he was Abby Hoffman or something. Right. And, 
but they've got 3,000 pages on him. So, and, and it can be uh, kind of a long, protracted uh, 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 thing to get these because, uh, according to the lawyer, they, they will only process 500 pages a month on any one request. Oh, so, uh, yeah, right. And so, and then, and then when you get it, it may be all redacted and you've got to go to court to have the redactions removed. So, I mean, I don't want people in a panic or anything like that, but I think they ought to be aware that, you know, the, there, there is a lot of information out there and, you know, some people don't like that. Yeah. I don't have good answers, but obviously in this, you know, in this case, it's, um, it's difficult. It, it really is. And, you know, uh, this doesn't help the average person, but if they are interested in some of these better known FBI files, they are, they are available online. You can go look up, I mentioned Abby Hoffman. You can go read mm -hmm. Abby Hoffman's file online if you want. That's pretty much everything I had. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you really want to make sure we get in there? You know, this is kind of one of those deals where we got the email from the lawyer and when we first looked at it, we thought, oh, what the heck is this? And then the more we thought about it and the more we got into it, it was, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of, that's fun and people seem to be interested in it. But at the same time, it it does sort of illustrate a, a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could be on a list and you don't know it or, you know, like how easy yeah. is it to just suggest something and have it make it onto some FBI agent's desk. And, and, nowadays, and nowadays with the digitization of everything, once you're in there, there's no telling where it's, I mean, it's, it's not quite as bad as Twitter. Or mm -hmm. Yeah, no, completely agree. Well, thank you. That's, that's all I've got. I always enjoy talking to you. It should be noted that there were multiple musical artists in that era who were known to be tracked by the FBI. Artists that the group interacted with, including the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. So the monkeys are far from the only musical act to catch the attention of the federal government. But this was still a pretty interesting story. That'll do it for this week's episode of Crime Beat Chronicles. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss what we have coming up next. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.